0: Thanks for listening. For earlier access to these episodes, access to Ask Me Anything sessions and extended breakdowns of historical and current events, please consider joining our Warning Premium community by clicking the link in the description to this episode. Really pleased uh, today to be joined by Shannon Watts, who is the founder of an extremely important, effective, grassroots advocacy group in the country, Moms Demand Action, has a membership of over 6 million. It is the first group uh, that went toe-to-toe with the NRA and stopped them cold in their tracks uh, over these recent years. But I want to go back uh, to the beginning when you founded the organization, Shannon, which was after Newtown. And it is a date I remember very clearly. Um, and I remember it also in the context of my whole life experience. and we're this, we're the same age. we're we're both fifty two. Um, we were uh, just over thirty on nine eleven. Um, from my perspective, the New town tragedy was the worst news event day of my life. Uh, there has never been a day that was as shocking, um, as unequal, as ununderstandable uh, as that as that day. It's the only time in my lifetime uh, that I can genuinely uh, remember a president of the United States uh, could not get through uh, mm-hmm. in a moment of tragedy and rightfully so i had a first grader at that time but he could not get through his his remarks and i remember that vividly and so talk about your reaction to that day um the the shock of it and and then what comes what comes next um because what comes next is this amazing activism that has made a profound difference
1: I remember the day very clearly, clearly, too, in part because it completely changed my life. Um, I had taken a five year break from a career in corporate communications. I was blending my family with my new husband's family. We have five kids between us and I was actually getting ready to go back into the workforce. And uh, it was a very cold day in Indianapolis. I was folding laundry and I saw there was breaking news of an active shooter at an elementary school in Connecticut and i sort of sat on the side of my bed and watched this horrific unfathomable tragedy unfold even today and i know it's happened since at other schools but the idea that 20 children and six educators could be slaughtered in the in in the saint american elementary school was truly shocking at that time in our in our nation's history and i was like you, like so many other Americans, just devastated. I went to bed in tears. And I woke up the next day full of rage. I was so angry. You know, I had kids in elementary school, too. And I thought, there's got to be something that I can join. Something like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which was so influential, right, when we were in high school. Changing the culture and the legislation and, and what seemed overnight completely making it unacceptable that you would drink and drive. And I thought there's got to be something like that around guns and responsibility. And really, when I looked, all I found online were think tanks mostly run by men in D.C. and in states and in cities. I wanted to be part of a badass army of women. (laughs) It's what I've seen get so much done in this country over and over again. So I just started a Facebook page saying that I had 75 Facebook friends. I had no Twitter handle and my post went viral. And that the you know sort of the rest is history. I started this organization with perfect strangers from across the country, who had the same idea I did that day, which was, we have to stand up to gun lobbyists in this country because if we lose our children, we have nothing left to lose.
0: I um, I remember that day. I was I was living in Incline Village uh, up on Lake Tahoe. Uh, I was home. I was alone. Um, I was, I was someone who was traveling 300,000 miles, miles a year. So I was constantly on the road. So it was rare for me to be home. Um, I had taken, uh, my kids to school that day, which I always tried to do when I was home. And there, there has not been a day since. And I think I'm not alone, like millions of, of American parents. And I think it's our generation, right? It's the gen X parents. Um, we did not grow up in a world where people were shooting up the schools. Yet we are the generation of parents um of the children who have grown up in this madness. And I don't think that there's been a day, and 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 don't talk about this. Certainly men don't talk about it a lot, but you know, there's not been a day where I haven't feared um on a on a drop-off about the images that you see of the parents rushing to the perimeter of the school waiting waiting for that waiting for that day and i think the whole country has that fear and shares that fear
1: i I agree with you you know i i also think we have to step back right we are two white suburban parents and i got off the sidelines because i was afraid my kids weren't safe in their schools The reality is that the gun violence that kills 120 Americans every day, wounds hundreds more, has disproportionately impacted Black and Brown communities for decades. And what I learned when I came to this issue, when I finally did get off the sidelines, and shame on me for it taking so long, was that mass shootings and school shootings are about 1% of the gun violence in this country. Now it is more common than it has ever been the amount of mass shootings we've had this year have been more than the amount of days we've had in the year. And we can talk more about that, but it's sort of the logical outcome of 400 million plus guns and very few gun laws. But when you come to the issue, what you realize and what I think the role of our organization has been is to say, thank you for coming into the organization because you're afraid your kids aren't safe in their schools, but also. We have to look at gun homicides in city centers. We have to look at gun suicides in rural communities. We have to look at domestic gun violence and unintentional shootings and on and on. It is a complex issue that has to have holistic solutions.
0: Now, that, that issue of violence that you're talking about uh, in America's inner cities, and I grew up uh, in close proximity to one, um, understand these issues, but but let me let me throw this out at you to talk about. It has always been the case. Um, politicians love the rhetoric that Americans are a peace-loving people. Um, we are citizens of one of the most violent countries on on Earth, uh, products of one of the most violent societies that has ever been. Um, It has always been a violent society um, going back to the to the very beginning. Um, And now, right, there were pockets in the country where people were unsafe uh, in terms of gun violence. And those are in areas where uh, primarily minorities and uh, the issue today is that and it's understandable if, if if you know, big sections of Americans were not safe, and no one reacted to it. Uh, now, no one is safe. Um, it has it has spread, and I I had this experience last summer, like you, blended family, uh, five kids, uh, Canadian wife, and was walking uh, in on the Canadian side of uh the niagara river up at niagara falls we just went down there one of the great kitschy places you can you can ever go 100 degrees the, 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 like sweltering humidity jam-packed and you could look across onto the american side right parallel same same crowd same same density it was just very conscious of how much safer felt on the canadian side The chances that someone's going to jump out of a bush with an AR-15 and kill 60 people or 200 or 15 or whatever the butcher's bill will be is so much less. And what I I wanted to ask you, whether in Canada has tough inner cities, um, but does not have the level of gun death, gun violence, all of your years doing this. Uh, have you come to a broader conclusion about the country, about the American people, about the American society, before we even start talking about v- guns, right, on the on the issue of American violence?
1: It's a, an important question. And, you know, I think Senator Chris Murphy has written a really interesting book about this idea of violence and Americans. And yes, um we are a uniquely violent country predicated on violence against other humans and when you look at the role that guns have played in this society from you know as as early on as as we can remember in america they have been used to threaten and to subjugate and you know even looking at you know how did policing begin so there's something about that that is uniquely American, but at the same time we have now people, you know, I always hear people say, oh, well, something has changed in America because we were, we we didn't have this kind of gun violence in 1968. We have more than triple the amount of guns in circulation than we had in 1968. And the reason that we have that is because we have something that uniquely no other peer nation has, and that is a gun lobby. and If you know the story of the NRA, they were sort of a a male focused organization on sportsmanship and and safety and training. And then in the 70s, they became a lobbying organization. And that demarcation is when you start to see the rise in guns saturating American culture. As we said before, we have about 400 million guns in this country. We have very few gun laws compared to other peer nations, and and we know that that is the reason. I mean, the data ch- tells us that that's the reason we have so much gun violence. Now, are we more accepting of it because of our origins? I think that's possible. Um, and and you know, you were talking about Canada and 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 countries like Mexico. When you look at where those illegal guns are coming from, they're coming from America, right? Mm-hmm. So. In many ways, America is the genesis of gun violence in the world, um, in, among developed nations at least. And so uh, I think it would be wrong to say that was the entire reason. Certainly it is, it is part of our origin story, but the blame for the, the chaos and the mayhem that we're experiencing right now lays solely at the feet of the gun lobby and their allies.
0: Now, National Rifle Association, as you mentioned, uh, the era that I grew up in, the NRA was, I remember during trips uh, during high school, you went to the NRA, they were on, you went to the Brookings Institution, to the Heritage Foundation, you went out to the NRA, you shot 22s in the basement during Boy Scouts, NRA certified gun instructors. And in my memory, uh, growing up when you look at the NRA in this transition era going from hunter rights, hunter safety, gun safety organization to paramilitary weapons fetishist organization. Um I I have that pegged by memory later and my 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 real conscious memory is Ruby Ridge and uh, the reference to the jackbooted government thugs by Wayne LaPierre. And George Herbert Walker Bush, Republican president, resigns on the spot from the, from the National Rifle Association. Now, growing up with guns, um, gun owner, like a lot of Americans in that era, it wasn't the AR-15 it wasn't automatic weapons and in fact anybody who was in love with their gun wanted to take pictures with their guns wanted to send christmas cards out with their semi automatic <laughs> weapons that that absolutely it did not exist in the in the culture and in the in the in the society and in the mainstreaming of it i think has had a disastrous effect do you have any thoughts on on just that piece of it culturally, because if if you were a gun owner who who did those things in the 1980s, you know, people would be, including other gun owners, would be very, very alarmed around you.
1: Mm, uh, yeah, yes. And it's it's so interesting if you look back. I mean, you rightfully point out um Waco and when the NRA doubled down and really kind of took the side of gun extremism uh, in in the culture and you know as recently as 1999 Wayne LaPierre is on video saying they don't believe there should be guns in schools and they support a background check on every gun sale completely upside down on that now Um, but you can look at sort of incremental steps you know the NRA doubling down again after Columbine and nothing happening after the shooting of Gabby Giffords. There's all these little marks along the way that show the direction we're headed in. For me, I can remember when I started Moms Command Action, I didn't realize that open carry at the time, I did not realize that it was legal in over 40 states with very little regulation. And so we would, in those early days, have marches and rallies and be surrounded by men carrying loaded AR-15s to try to intimidate and silence us. And this was a wake-up call for for me, for our organization to say, this is not acceptable in a a democracy. This is not societally acceptable. And the the, the point when the NRA had to take a position on the issue of open carry came in, uh, it was, I believe it was 2014, we had volunteers who on Facebook were talking about having a membership meeting in Arlington, Texas. Gun extremists saw that, they showed up at the event, Uh, This made worldwide news, but they were out in the parking lot and they began to pull long guns out of the trunk of their cars, and they were pointing them at the restaurant they were taking pictures they were posing. um, And, and there was nothing the manager could do because this is totally legal in the state of Texas they just sort of had to wait for these men to go away. And this made so much news that the NRA had to comment and and one of the NRA spokespeople said that open carry was downright weird. Gun extremists absolutely lost their mind, began burning their NRA cards, and they reversed course immediately within days and said, no, we support open carry. And 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 that was sort of when the NRA, I think, went all in on gun extremism. Something that has happened in, in this country is that the, the NRA has been pulled to the right by other gun groups. So there are gun extremists in every state. So when I lived in Colorado, for example, they're called the Rocky Mountain gun owners. Every state has their own version of the NRA, and they're almost all to the right. Gun owners of
0: America is an example.
1: Exactly. And that's a national organization that is also to the right. So they're pulling the NRA, just like the Tea Party pulled Republicans to the right in the 90s. These groups have pulled the NRA to the right. And, And even though we have hobbled the NRA and they are weaker than they've ever been, they're hemorrhaging political power and dollars, guns have become an organizing principle for the far right. It gets new people in the door. It gets dollars donated. It it, 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 um, It excites the base around issues that aren't just about guns. And so we've kind of entered even a new sphere of this extremism
0: when when you think about the nra and your your group do you do you do you get satisfaction i mean i give you credit for it i mean your group has put them on death's door combined with the really unfathomable and unbelievable levels of corruption amongst the amongst the leaders do do you does the organization have a plan to finish them off
1: you know, it's been really interesting, we, we have always said that the, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And that um, our goal was to shine a light on how corrupt that the NRA is, and to make sure that people understood that they weren't acting like a nonprofit. At the same time, as you said, there's been so many sort of self inflicted wounds by the NRA um, and, and I think that the fact that they are so weak is a combination of those two things. What, what we are we are seeing now, though, is that some of these other gun groups are picking up the mantle. However, the NRA has has made Republicans fear being primaried, right? That's that's really where their power lies: a fear of being primaried by someone to the more to the right on, on guns. I think it is significant that when the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act passed this last summer, the NRA did not have a seat at the table, the NSSF did. This is another gun extremist group based in Connecticut, but the NRA did not have a seat at the table. So I am hopeful that as more and more Republicans are on the right side of this issue, the NRA and gun lobby groups will have to figure out how to moderate. When I started doing this work in 2012, A quarter of all Democrats in Congress had an A rating from the NRA today, none do. And 15 Republicans voted for the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. That is unheard of. You know, going back to Manchin Toomey, which is a bill that was put forward after the Sandy Hook school shooting tragedy. It failed by a handful of votes in in the Senate, including Democrats. None of those Democrats have their job anymore. Heidi Heitkamp, Senator Heidi Heitkamp, said she was voting against Manchin Toomey because she heard seven to one against the bill from her constituents when the bipartisan safer communities act passed republican senator todd young from indiana said he was going to vote for the bill because he was hearing 10 to 1 in favor of it from his constituents right so that is a seismic shift in american politics and i know it's taken a decade to get there but we are getting to a place where kind of coming full circle to the beginning of this conversation Republicans are afraid to send their kids to school, too. And they are going to vote accordingly. Mitch McConnell didn't whip the votes for the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act because he had a change of heart. He did it because he saw the polling and he is politically pragmatic and he knew there would be consequences for inaction.
0: Now, um, there are a lot of women in America, a lot of women who are moms in America uh, who own guns, who are gun owners. You, when you when you talk to the gun owners out there for the for the purposes of this, talk to me about how you see that. Right? When you see a gun owner, is that someone you have an antagonistic disposition towards? That they own guns, they're on the other side of it of an issue that I have passion about. Um, I'm trying to convert them into being not gun owners, or I'm trying to convert them into being a gun owner who supports a political agenda that says we have to have some societal safety, we're in the middle of this epidemic, we have to end the epidemic. How, how do you think about gun owners? Are you recruiting them to the cause? Are you wanting to push them out of the organization and convert them? What Talk, talk about that aspect of it.
1: No, you know, many of our our volunteers are gun owners or their partners are gun owners. As we said, there's 400 million guns in this country. There are other peer nations with high rates of gun ownership and low rates of gun violence. Our goal is to restore the responsibilities that should go along with gun rights. Responsibilities that have been stripped away over time by the gun lobby, by lawmakers aligned with the gun lobby. Um, we have many gun owners in our fold more and more every single day. Uh, we have men in our organization uh, who proudly wear Moms Demand Action shirts. Uh, we have a lot of veterans in our organization, and we have them serve as spokespeople all the time. Um, you know, we can have high rates of gun ownership and low rates of gun violence. But we are seeing some red states go in the opposite direction. So we have now passed background checks. There, you know, federal law does not require a background check on unlicensed gun sales. We have closed that loophole in twenty states now. But at the same time, the NRA has now, in more than two dozen states, passed something called permitless carry, that allows people to carry hidden loaded handguns in public with no background check, no safety training, no permit. So. Responsible gun owners know that that is not what is included in gun rights. And so it's really important to have them be the ones advocating, I think, for, for stronger gun laws.
0: I I think that one of the really important things in this moment in time and that I have a frustration with in politics and particularly with Democratic members who I broadly agree with on the the issue, is an inability to communicate to gun owners in a language that they can understand factually. So, for example, um, there is a widespread belief in the country that the Second Amendment prevents making illegal different categories of or types of weapons. And the reality is, is that there's a 1934 law, it was called the Machine Gun Act, when mobsters and gangsters were using, very famously, the Thompson submachine guns, right, was the was the iconic automatic weapon of that era, uh, killing people at a wholesale level, and the gun was banned. Additionally, um, if you own a shotgun, and you saw off the barrel of that shotgun, that shotgun will become illegal, under federal law, under the 1934 Federal Firearms Act. Do do you think that there should be a move, very simple, strip all the complexity out of it, hold up an AR-15 on the floor of the United States Senate, on the floor of the United States House, and say, this is the weapon that is overwhelmingly In the hands of the mass shooter over and over and over and over and over again hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and we're going to put this gun on that list on a straight up vote
1: i i think it's important to get people on the record and i would say not even just on the ar-15 let's get republicans on the record on background checks on red flag laws on uh, disarming domestic abusers and stalkers. I think it's really important, especially going into an election cycle, that we know where every single lawmaker stands on this issue. Um, you know, the, the AR-15, I mean, there's it's a billion dollar piece of equipment. There's a reason that the gun lobby started marketing these guns. And let's be clear who they're marketing to them to. Young, troubled men. If you've seen the ads, they say things like, consider your man card reissued. They had saturated the market with handguns and they had to sell a more expensive gun to people as you know kind of disguised as recreation there's a reason we're seeing more violent gun crime being carried out with ar-15s and that is simply because they are in more people's hands and when you talk about the regulation of long guns a lot of times that was considered a rifle for hunting it wasn't considered an ar-15 so there aren't the same kind of laws that regulate long guns as there are handguns, um, so there's a whole host of reasons. Um, we have successfully banned semi-automatic rifles in states. Um, in the last decade that I've been doing this work, we've done it in four states. Most recently and significantly, in three states in just the last year. Um, and there are other states like Rhode so let's, Island that are so considering let's talk, So,
0: what are those states? Those what states are those?
1: Washington, Delaware and maryland um, most recently
0: so so i cannot go into a gun store in those states and buy an ar-15 any longer right okay
1: and that's significant i mean if you look at the states where we are starting to change the culture these are states that i would have said were pretty solidly purple or even red when i started doing this work so virginia You know, we outspent the NRA in their own backyard in 2019. We flipped both chambers of the General Assembly, elected a Democratic governor, and passed over a dozen good gun laws. And even though there's a Republican governor there now, he has not been able to roll back any of those protections. In a state like Colorado, um, where there was huge backlash after Governor Hickenlooper passed stronger gun laws in the wake of the Aurora Theater shooting, and Republicans were in charge of, of the Senate for many years. Once we were able to elect a gun sense trifecta in that state, Governor Polis has now signed over 10 good gun laws, Um, Washington is another example. So this is hard work that is often incremental, it is pragmatic, it is strategic, but it does pay dividends if you're working on it really in three ways, legislatively, electorally and culturally.
0: Do you get down when you look at this issue through the prism of, on the one hand, indisputably, you have hurt the NRA, brought them to the edge of death, made a difference, changed the laws, but at the same time, we we have more mass shootings in this country in 2023 than we have days in 2023.
1: I know that time is of the essence, every single day over 120 people are shot and killed in this country. It isn't like other issues where, you know, it's not a matter of life and death every minute. But at the same time, I have been a full time volunteer for a decade because I know we're winning. And I I know based on the polling we do of our own volunteers that, you know, they stay for the same reason. I think if you just are looking at the mass shootings and you're not someone who is working on this as an advocate, it looks like it is getting worse. And certainly the gun violence is. But at the same time, we're making significant progress to pass life saving laws. We've passed over 500 good gun laws in the last decade. Uh, we've stopped the NRA's agenda every year, 90% of the time, for the last eight years in state houses. Um, and, and culturally, you know, we've educated over eight and a half million families about secure gun storage. So all of that is incredibly life saving work that would not have happened if Moms Demand Action hadn't started back in 2012. Um, and, and the fact again, that we're seeing more Republicans be on the right side of this issue, right? We don't win until, um, everyone, Republicans and Democrats alike vote the right way. So I am always hopeful. I think too often after a shooting, you know, we, there are people who buy into this gun lobby rhetoric of you are hopeless, you are helpless, nothing will ever change. They're hoping that that cynicism leads to inaction. And I also think there's something to be said for the fact that, um, we are not, we are not numb. We are, we are traumatized. We are constantly exposed, you know, if you are afraid when you drop your kids off at school that you might not be able to pick them back up because they've been killed. You are traumatized are and there I are think it's studies important.
0: are there studies on that 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 you've partake partaken in that the organization has that that have assessed that i mean it's not it's not that i you know and i'm not trying to personalize this i don't walk around in an abject state of fear but i think there's a latent state of anxiety i know i mean i grew up uh in a in a town in northern New Jersey where you just um if you it was just a just a part of the world that you were just always present about what's going on around you, right? Like any big city um that you that you should just self just aware. Um I find myself in a mall in other places, hyper, hyper, hyper aware, constantly vigilant. Uh, looking where the exits are. And I, I guess like, the question is, am I am I an outlier? Am I outside the bell curve? Am I off the wall? Is there, you know, am I am I too much? Or, you know, am I am I very much in the mainstream on on that? It's certainly not something we really have a conversation about. Um and certainly it's not a conversation that men talk about um with each other, you know, at least ones that, you know, I'm not you know, that I'm part of, but but I think it's something we all feel and fear.
1: Oh, you are absolutely in the mainstream. Um, There was a new poll out this week uh, that showed that gun violence has now become the number one public health fear among Americans. It's now superseded things like the opioid crisis. Um, And so this is very much top of mind. And I can just tell you anecdotally that we have uh, four volunteers who have run for office and they're now lawmakers in Missouri and they were campaigning in a pretty rural area of the state and they were knocking on Republicans' doors to talk to them. And these Republicans said, please put your signs in my yard because I am so afraid for my kids' safety. So I do think that this is just in the zeitgeist now and, and in part because we've seen such horrific tragedies just this year, Um, and and what what we need to do as activists is now to convert that into understanding where your candidates and your lawmakers stand on this issue. If you go to gunsensevoter.org, we we can show you where everyone that you have the option to vote for, where they stand on on the issue of gun safety, Um, and then it needs to translate into real repercussions for people, like you were talking about the extremists who are posing for Christmas cards, or. Uh, the the Tennessee congressman who after the shooting um, at, at the elementary school in in Nashville said we aren't going to fix this. He said we are not going to fix this. There has to be consequences for that behavior.
0: Yeah, I mean he's in the line of work. I mean he's in the wrong line of work, right? Whatever, <laughs> right? Like you know whatever it is that you know he wishes to do for his vocation, right? It's he's just in the wrong line of work if he, right? If he well, believes that because it's a massive. So prop- How can you
1: be a lawmaker who doesn't believe law ma- laws work?
0: Um, when you look at this issue, and, and you rightfully say it's a billion-dollar industry, uh, the manufacturers are enormous funders of the of the gun lobbies and the and the extremism. Um, what is their soft underbelly? From a liability perspective, from a legal perspective, to bankrupt them, and is there an approach, a strategy going at these people, like uh, when we, you know, during the '90s, people went at the tobacco companies? Yes.
1: Yeah, so the gun industry learned from other special interests, right? Alcohol, tobacco, and what they learned is the best way to go bankrupt is to be able to be sued. And so they went to Congress and they were given protection. Uh, they were given an immunity from liability uh, from President uh, George Bush Jr. And they have this immunity that no other manufacturing industry has in this country. Um, it is very difficult to sue gun makers, even for false advertising. Um, but but there have been workarounds. the Sandy Hook School families have, have found a workaround. Um, and and are going through the courts. But what we have done is to go into states and change state law. This this immunity is called PLCAA, also known as PLACA. That's the federal immunity given to the gun lobby. We have been able to go into states, starting in New York state, and carve out that immunity at a state level so that gun makers can be sued. Uh, We've done that now in a handful of states, but it is a template for other blue states um, that are passing, other good common sense gun laws this becomes part of that toolbox how
0: important is california in this fight as the biggest state in the country um where laws can be made change the state that also has the scale on these liability issues to bankrupt should it choose to do so all these gun manufacturers um on state liability legislation if they went after them i mean California is the eighth largest economy in the world. Uh, it would it would be a nuclear weapon superpower state if it was its own country. Um, how important is California on the on the leading edge of of gun control legislation, gun safety legislation? You know, as an as an example, out for the country.
1: It's very important. I always say that uh, there are two petri dish dishes the. The gun lobby's Petri is Florida. So they go in there and pass the worst laws possible and try to extrapolate those to the rest of the country. Um, an example of that, at one point, the NRA was able to pass a law in Florida that uh, prevented doctors from asking their patients, even suicidal patients, including veterans, if they had easy access to guns. If you could imagine a gag order on physicians to ask about one of the biggest dangers um, particularly as it pertains to suicide. Eventually that was overturned by the Florida Supreme Court, that law. Um, but, but that is where Stand Your Ground started um, and so many other horrific laws. And right now they're, they've just passed permitless carry in that state. And Governor DeSantis is also talking about lowering the, the age to buy a gun uh, to 18, even though we know you're, tri- you're you're three times as likely to commit a gun crime at 18 than you are at 21. I would say our petri dish on the gun safety side is California. We've passed so many um, best practices here, and I live in California now, in the state, and then extrapolated those to the rest of the country. They serve as model legislation. And most recently, I would give you the example of a secure storage law. We had been going school board by school board to pass resolutions that require secure storage information to be sent home with families, like a permission slip, basically saying i understand if i'm a gun owner my gun should be locked unloaded and separate from ammunition right most school shooters are actually students who have easy access to guns in their homes california now has passed that as a law so we don't have to go school board by school board here we can that this information will simply be sent home with public school families on an annual basis now that means five million additional school families will get this information. And now we can work to pass these laws in other states. So California is incredibly important. Um, Governor Newsom has been a huge ally. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but he you know, took on Texas, um, when Texas passed the, the abortion bounty, as they called it. Uh, you know, he, he kind of did that with guns saying, you know, you can, if you can sue uh, people who are providing abortions, then you can sue people who are providing guns.
0: You know, there's this after after every mass shooting, right? You have this predictable response that's become almost a sick, a sick riposte, right, to the tragedy, which is thoughts and prayers. And I've described it as our generation's, our era's greatest appeasement line, right? Thoughts and thoughts and prayers. Deeply, deeply offensive, I think, in the way that it's currently used in the in the context. At the same time, uh, I always consider Ted Cruz to be a leading edge of this. Right, he'll be the first one out almost always to say, "Not the right time to talk about this." Right, thoughts and prayers. Um, you know, we you know, we need to go on. And so, when you look at the totality of the conversation, there's a bunch of overlapping issues that aren't in the category of "Let's not talk about this now." Right, but should be in the category of we must talk about this now, and plus. meaning, certainly it is the case that the weapon, easy access to it, easy access to the silencer, right? to the uh, banana clip, right that could hold fifty rounds of of ammunition. all of these things, make this situation more deadly and, and and worse. But at the same time, for sure, someone somewhere right now has the guns. They're locking, they're loading, they're preparing, they're preparing to kill. Uh, they're preparing to kill at a at a mass scale. I I remember and I'm sure that it is not the first instance but I, I I distinctly remember the Jonesboro shooting. Um I think it was in 1994. I I bet my left hand that it was 1994. Um and and th- that was that was shot and then there was Columbine, right, which was in 1997 and just shocking. Um and then to Newtown, and now to the numbness. What is driving beyond the presence of the gun and the easy access? Do do we have an evil person problem? Do we have a what do we have? When when you I I mean there 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 are a few people who have probably thought more deeply about this. Um what what is going on in in American society? um and like you said at the beginning, right? i I understand in the you know, in the inner cities and the ebb and flow in places, the constant danger, but but the mass shooting. this is not exclusively, but mostly a young white male.
1: It, we have the same rates of mental illness as peer nations. We play less video games than Japan, for example. We have similar rates of people who are white supremacists or you know disgruntled youth. It isn't like we have a surplus of this. It isn't as though Americans are more evil or more bad what we have is unfettered access to arsenals and ammunition and the data bears this out right if you look at states with strong gun laws blue states basically you see less gun violence and less gun death and you look at red states and you see more gun violence and more gun death this is intuitive but it is shown to be the case you know you brought up ted cruz and i think that's interesting because there was a horrific hot air balloon accident in Lockhart, Texas a few years ago. And right after that, I think 16 people were killed. Ted Cruz immediately put forward and passed legislation that put tighter regulations on the hot air balloon industry. And yet when it comes to gun violence, he either blames mental illness or too many exit doors or not enough exit doors. You name it, he will come up with a reason. And yet he doesn't seem to think that regulating guns would work as well as regulating hot air balloons. And I would suggest that's not because he doesn't believe gun laws don't work, but because there's no hot air balloon industry fueling his Senate seat. (laughs) So we know what our problem is and we know how to fix it. We follow the data. But gun extremists who are in legislatures and in Congress who are beholden to the gun lobby... Are standing in the way of that happening.
0: Um, when I when I think about this moment and and where we are, how do you evaluate at a at a whole level inside the Democratic Party how they are doing, communicating about this issue. And about the extremism issue in general.
1: Oh, I get really frustrated.
0: Frustrating.
1: I I get frustrated. I, you know, I think um, first of all, I'm a a longtime communications expert, uh, having done this as a career, but then also through Moms Demand Action, and and you know, messaging has been my bread and butter, and I think Republicans are really good at it just sort of saying the same thing over and over again in a unique and interesting way uh, that is compelling to people, sadly, even when it isn't true. I don't see Democrats as unified, as clear, as compelling. I think it's political malpractice to let Republicans take the high road on crime. You cannot be tough on crime if you are soft on guns. And a lot of the reason we have so much crime is because of the the Republicans who have weakened our gun laws over years and years. This is the logical outcome of that, what we're experiencing right now. Um, There are some Democrats who are really good at it. For example, Richie Torres, Congressman Richie Torres, is is excellent at messaging on this. I think Eric Swalwell is is good on this. But as a whole, I don't see Democrats singing from the same hymnal, um, and I don't see their messaging as being as compelling as it should be.
0: I think it's I I was I was at a um, at a dance recital. And after the dance recital, it was for an 11 year old. And uh, they they brought the trophies out. And there must have been 450 trophies. And if you're a Gen X or like my wife and I, we look each other's, holy shit, right? You, know, <laughs> it's,
1: right? Every kid, you get a trophy and you you're, get a trophy. Oh
0: my God. I mean, in the trophies, the trophies are five feet high. Everyone's a great job. And you you look at the kids, you just say like, I, I have one trophy, right? And they, you know, they would, they would look at you growing up and be like, you're not going to make it right as a professional <laughs> player, basketball player. Right. No one was looking to affirm you, right, against, you know, your obviously ability deficits. I, I bring it up like good naturedly, but I, I do think that when you when you look at this issue, right, you look at Donald Trump and his longevity, you know, his endurance is that in a two party system, right, it's the job of the party that he's not part of to do away with this extremist movement, and it's not done away with, right? We're coming up on the 10 year anniversary and we're rushing into another election cycle where everything is on the, on the ballot again. Uh, Everything. And uh, it's a, uh, it's a fraught time with, with all of that.
1: Well, and he, you know, based on uh, his CNN town hall, uh, he will be running on guns. Uh, he mistakenly said there's 700 million guns in this country and, and that the genie was out of the bottle and there was no way to fix it. And I think he said something really strange, like uh, it's important to have these guns for entertainment purposes.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: this is someone who was not in support of guns you know, before he ran for president, but he has tapped into that gun extremist. I mean, that it is his hardcore right wing base. And uh, guns, as I said earlier, that's an organizing principle now on the right wing.
0: And I think, and I think it's like the liability laws and all of these have to be targeted as well. It's clearly, yes, the, you know, it's clearly the soft underbelly of it all. In in your perfect world, um, you go back and you look at Aaron Sorkin scripts. If I was advising someone in an election cycle, so I say go watch some West Wing episodes and use some of the President Bartlett speeches. What what would you like a a president to get up in front of the country? And say fearlessly about about guns, about this about this moment. What would what would satisfy you?
1: Well, uh, the first thing I I, I want to say is that the the Biden Harris administration has been better on this issue than any administration in history. Um, I do think President Biden has been pretty fearless in wrapping his arms around. The gun safety movement, understanding they helped elect him to office, um, has not been afraid to talk about an assault weapons ban. Um, no disagreement. Done... No
0: disagreement on any on any of those yeah. on any of those on any of those things. But but still, right? We have yeah. we, we there is a there is a speech, an address that needs to be given in my view that has not yet been given. Mm. If if we if we if this if these if these if the perpetrators of the two hundred mass shootings, right, we're all from the Middle East, right? We we <laughs> right. would be we would be we would be at war, um, and yet there is there is this numbness. We we went to I, I think one of the most extraordinary aspects of all of it is is we. We went to war for twenty years uh, after an attack that killed three thousand Americans. Hmm. How, how many Americans will be killed this year by guns? How many will be killed by mass shootings? And there there is broadly speaking, um in the in the population a lassitude, a helplessness about about the issue and i don't think that's how you see the issue um you've made tremendous progress but what 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 needs to be said that 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 hasn't that hasn't been said about 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 this in a program, i think we talk about the eight o'clock hour for everybody i think we
1: i think we talk a lot about the data and a lot about the science, but I don't think we talk enough about the emotion. This is a moral issue. Senator Chris Murphy, after the, the Buffalo and the Uvalde shootings went on the floor and said, what are we doing here? What are we doing? In other words, who are we that we have come to a point in this country where children and and people of color are slaughtered in places where we should feel safest where americans on a daily basis don't feel safe because we've allowed gun lobbyists to write our gun laws who are we what are we doing here and i think we have to appeal to the silent majority's sense of moral clarity this is a reckoning At some point, we are either going forward with gun extremism, guns for anyone, anywhere, anytime, no questions asked, and and we have to understand that we have made an agreement as Americans that we will let children be killed in their schools, we will let children be killed in playgrounds and in their streets and in their communities, that that is an acceptable sacrifice for the Second Amendment or we are going to be going to go in a different direction. We're going to move away from that extremism. And we are going to decide that second graders are more important than the second amendment. And that we are better than this as a nation. We are more moral than this. And that we have been wrong, right? We have to admit, I think at some point that we have perverted. We've allowed the second amendment to be perverted
0: when when um well, it's it's not just perverted. I mean, it's the Second Amendment has a wholly different meaning today that's been politicized, propagandized, that's a total departure from what it was thought to be meant to be, how it was treated by the overwhelming, you know majority of Americans, right? not 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 a hundred years ago, right? You know, twenty, twenty years ago. Um, not so not so long ago, you know, whatsoever. I wanted to I wanted to ask you about how you think about the power of mass protest movements and marches as as an effective way to communicate. Like personally, I think it would scare the shit out of a lot of Washington politicians. And, And the type of march I'm thinking about is the moratorium march against the Vietnam War in 1973. And that was the march that probably ended the Vietnam War. Um, It was different in its complexion. It wasn't a hippie march, wasn't a student march. It was Middle America marching under the American flag. right? It was the mainstream of the country. It was the silent majority. Um, and that march had an enormous impact. Um, have you have you thought about in the context? I know there's been protests, there's been marchings, there's been gatherings, but you know, marches organized of hundreds of thousands of Americans on the mall, in the in the Capitol, sit-down movements, social protest movements. That go that go beyond the legislative legislative space because I because I I agree with you completely right this is it, it is a profoundly moral issue um and as a moral issue the tactics of that of that movement have to be imbued with the moral urgency of that of that movement as well
1: I do look I I think change takes a whole host of things. It isn't just one policy. It isn't just one protest. Um, it, it is a whole host of actions. And we certainly saw March for Our Lives, You know, not just the, the march in DC, but the marches all across the country that actually were hosted by Moms Demand Action volunteers. Um, we saw more marches and more rallies after Buffalo and Uval Day. Um, we had rallies all over, uh, especially outside the Capitol when um, we were working on the Bipartisan Saver Communities Act. I think those things are important. What I think we don't place enough value on. I, I always get asked when I, when I do speaking events, like, what can I do? And I say, well, are you a volunteer? Do you show up in your state legislature and in your city council and in your school board? And the answer is often no. Yeah. It isn't about posting on social media. It isn't about just showing up at a protest. It is also the unglamorous heavy lifting of grassroots activism. That is what democracy requires. That means you're gonna to have to show up at gun bill hearings. It means you're gonna to need to know your lawmakers' names and meet with them and call them. It means that you are gonna to have to knock doors to get out the vote for gun sense candidates. It means you're gonna stand at your farmer's market and hand out materials about secure gun storage. Like it. it I think that people get frustrated and bored by incremental activities, (laughs) but I have seen incrementalism lead to revolutions, right? A seismic shift in American politics on this issue. So I think it's a combination of all of those things, but what's happened is that we have this very vocal minority, the gun extremists, who have had a seat at the table. We have to get the silent majority to use their voices and their votes on this issue. I am now a single issue voter. If my family and my community aren't safe, nothing else really matters. That's how we need to be thinking.
0: Well, perfect way to end it, we'll leave it there. Thank you, Shannon Watts, one of the most important successful activists in the United States, dealing with one of the most critical issues. And um, I think one of the things that really comes through is that what started out through an act of anger has become a uh, service driven by love and driven by passion to change. And anybody who's at it for 10 years um, is somebody who has great faith and belief in the country. And it's just been a real great privilege to be able to spend some time with you. Thank you.
1: Mm, Likewise, Steve.